Welcome back to Firewall. As usual, I'm your host, Bradley Tusk. Uh, with me today is a guest I'm really excited about, uh, Henry Abbott, who uh, basketball fans here know, uh, publishes a newsletter called True Hoop. Um, Henry, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So I, I mean, I think the reason we were so excited to have you is, is you know, you write about basketball every day, but it, you're, the topics you cover and the perspective you bring to it is kind of so much more expansive than that. Um, do you do that in spite of like what uh, you really should be doing in terms of revenue and audience and all of that? Or do you think it's what makes the newsletter so popular and successful? <laughs> um I think you want the show to be like 25 minutes and I could answer, I could use all 25 on that good question. Um, but I, I think this is the most interesting part of this is uh, I, someone, a friend of mine had me read Elon Musk's, the giant like, wait, but why? Like five part interview about yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm talking about. It was 150,000 words. Yeah. And um, I read it all in a hotel room in Boston and it was kind of overwhelming. But what I took from it was this first principles idea, right? So you're going to make a car. Are we going to assume it's aluminum? It's like, no, we're going to like, question every assumption right down to the ground. Um, I got the luxury of 10 years at ESPN seeing like tons of data on what works in sports media and um, and then got to set up a team where we tested these theories I developed over a decade where it was like just the stories and angles that sports media has always thought were most popular are not. Um, and I can talk as much as you want about that. But yeah, so like could just, just could give us an example or two of like what do, what do people assume is popular or is not and then what's the reverse? Right, so um, well, most sports media people are sports media fans and can't imagine that everybody isn't. So if someone says, hey, I got a hot story on the Dallas Mavericks, then you think, oh, people love the Dallas Mavericks. Let's follow that story. And then um, in the data, it gets it's among the worst performing things. If your bet, if the audience theory you have is that people love the Dallas Mavericks, you're toast. Absolute toast. Like no chance. This will underperform. Like the median ESPN.com story has a disappointing money losing audience. This will underperform it by 75%. So, so let me just, let me just dig into that a little bit. Cause I have a feeling there's, there's a real parallel here in my world of politics, which is tell me if this is right. Basketball reporters and experts love the Dallas Mavericks because of Luca, because Cuban is so interesting. Harala boss works there, all that stuff. <laughs> yeah. And therefore they assume that if they like it and they're so smart, that must mean that that's the right thing to do. And then they apply it more broadly and end up missing the audience entirely, which by the way, happens in, in politics all the time, which is political reporters and insiders think whatever they read on Twitter is what matters. And they miss the electorate all the time. It's exactly the same thing. So there's this bet that there are large, so these are information seeking people who do information seeking behavior and fail to imagine that most people don't, right? Whereas some stories, I mean, the sports media world, I, I really all I am expert, expert on is digital audience of sports media, right? I don't even really know how it happens. Um, other than I suspect from having written for magazines and, and been involved in other platforms that like they actually don't know how their audience behaves by and large. Um, but uh, in the digital world, so I'm going to use hypothetical numbers, but if like a poorly performing story gets 5,000 readers, some stories you get 5 million readers. So with that big of a gulf, there's a lot of learning to do. And, you know, this team that I built, this True Presents team was able to average um, close to a million readers per story, which nothing like it had ever happened before. We set the record for most readers in any story. And, and almost everybody thought we were doing niche stories. Like actually USA Today wrote a story about it and they used that word. And I was like, mm, not so sure it's niche. It's just not what your journalism professor thought was mainstream, but it's more popular than that. So do you feel like you were, when was ESPN's absolute height and heyday? 
um, TV or or .com or all together? Good, good question. Uh, let's go all together. Yeah, I I would guess it was something like um, you know 2010 something like that. Um, when did they buy True Hoop? 2007. Okay, so you're there for their their Apex, right? Yeah, I was there when like the book came out. Like those guys have all the phone, that kind of stuff. Right, right, right. That was a good book, by the way. So you're there for their Apex. They're clearly not at that Apex anymore. Was it that they did something wrong, or was it just this moment of time before streaming really became, you know, a, a thing, and they just kind of had everything going for it, but it was inevitably going to fall off? Well, it was like the most successful money-making company in the history of media, basically, right? So. Um, probably we can't get very far saying anything wrong. Um, however, like I was there in the digital space and I, I always felt like it, it seemed very clear from the second I got there and or five years before that like there was going to have to be a pivot to digital and it was going to have to be brilliant, right? And it just was, it's a TV company, right? And and I, I was in meetings, I was in important meetings where there were choices about basically, are we going to redirect attention and resources from you know, cable platforms to what's going to be next. And it became clear to me that we were going to be last in that pivot, right? Because we were doing the best from the old model. Um, so like we were the we were the ship's company when it was becoming airplanes, right? This kind of thing. Right. So, I mean, yeah, it, felt, it always felt to me as sort of a rabid sports fan that, you know, ESPN Digital, which like for me as someone who doesn't have the time or patience to really watch TV, actually is, is my preferred medium. Um, but they were trying to be all things to all people. And as a result, things like True Hoop or Grantland or now The Ringer or The Athletic Now, like to me, were just so much more targeted to what I was interested in. That it was much a much better read. Um, did, did they realize that? And did you tell them that? Did you realize that? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a funny. Like, I, I think what's happening was like um, the whole media industry was kind of blue collar. I actually like that about it. Like, it was kind of you know, the jobs were pretty simple. You go to a game, you write a story, you follow the story. Um, you didn't even have to have a high school degree, let alone a college one. And once you start looking at the data of what's popular, it's really hard, right? It's like trying to make a hit movie or write a hit song, like. You have to kind of solve for so many variables, and and I think it's just a. You know, so I'm there as like this kind of egg-headed dork guy saying like I think we need to rethink everything, and it's just uncomfortable, right? So so you know Simmons similar story, right? Um, but I think there's a you know I, they did it, they invested in it as much as anyone, but when it came time to really bet on it, um, you know, it, it decided to be a TV company for a while longer. Yeah, uh, it. It's interesting also that we mentioned Simmons. You guys, uh, you know, your career intersects in a bunch of different ways. But the way I see it, you you, you cover basketball differently, right? Now, maybe Simmons, because his, his podcast audience is so big, it has to be this way. But it's, it's a lot around who's the MVP, who's going to make the playoffs. Um, it's intelligent, but it's a lot of like blocking and tackling. And you seem to approach the NBA from a much more meta perspective. Is that just the difference in your personalities or the necessities of your respective jobs? How do you see it? Uh, there are a few differences. Like one is, I mean, he's pretty NBA focused, but um, you know, I, I don't do anything else, right? I was fully <laughs> immersed in, so I'm like, you know, five, six, seven years into the Sloan conference, which is, you know, the big, yeah. the, the big beach fest, right? Um, and have, you know, written about and managed teams writing about like every little nuance of the findings before Simmons like attends his first one. So part of me is like, oh man, like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, you know, I'm glad you're catching up, but like, um, I can't write about it the exact same way you will now, right? But he was more on the schedule of a regular fan, right? I think that's the other difference is, um, you know, being a fan, by and large is an emotional experience, right? Like I'm a Blazers fan and I live and die with every win, right? Like, but so I get that it's, a, it's emotional. 
But in my day job, right, I'm trying to be a leader in being like, you know, getting like a PhD in how things really work in basketball, which really means being dispassionate a lot of the time, right? Like I didn't want the Blazers to make that trade as kind of like insignificant in analyzing like how does this thing work we're trying to like solve this rubik's cube of basketball wins right and it's just a different mission from like bummer (laughs) right and he like he's the best ever at writing about his emotional experience but it doesn't solve the problem i'm trying to solve which is you know how what really what are the levers here like how does this really and and at least from a data standpoint and look i i'm a big believer in advanced statistics but um there does seem to be at least a, a, a zeitgeist that kind of goes the other way right now, which is, you know, all of Sam, you know, it didn't really work. Sam Hinkie didn't succeed. Daryl Morey didn't succeed. Um, or if you look at baseball, they pull Blake Snell from game six of the World Series when he's pitching lights out because the, the numbers call for it. Um, do you feel like the, the, there is sort of a strong anti-data movement right now? And if so, um, do they have a point? I mean, it's so silly. It really, really feels like the jocks and the nerds in high school to me where, you know, this is the category the jocks control and they're annoyed that the nerds are showing up and making decisions, right? Like, um, that said, like, you know, to me, I'm like, you can do whatever you want, right? You can run your team however you want. Um, I don't know why. So, for instance, like, here's why I really stuck my toe on on it um, on, on the third rail here years ago when we first had stats to, this sounds so basic now, basically, Kobe Bryant's winning every award, you know, from GM votes to player votes about, like, who's the best clutch player and then we get the stats that he's shooting 25 percent in crunch time and so it's just the case that like we want it to they, we want there to be a superman of crunch time and we want it to be kobe right whereas if you go way deep into it what really works in crunch time is i mean this is a oversimplification but the open guy is who scores well in crunch time which means a team approach which means passing which means drawing up plays which means not just giving it to the hero ball star right so you can give it to Kobe if you want the nba to just be driven by, you know, what feels right. A lot of teams do that. A lot of teams do it still. My team does it with Lillard right now, right? Um, you can do that. It's fine. But if you want to win more games, you have to start looking at the other options. Uh, yeah, I think that that's, I think that's right. And I, I, look, the good news is e- even as people call WFN or whatever it is to kind of rage against uh, the, the use of metrics, I'm imagining that most people in the NBA aren't really paying to that. Um, you're in the middle of what, what feels like a really ambitious project which is trying to figure out kind of all the different pools of money that swirl around the NBA. So first of all, what are you doing and why are you doing it? Oh, it's it's a hundred times crazier than anything else I've ever worked on. <laughs> and, and and the right answer is I probably shouldn't do it. Like I've literally had several people like pull me aside and be like, are you safe? Are you going to get killed doing this? I'm like, I don't, I don't think I'm going to get killed. Um, but uh, I mean, here's how it started. <laughs> so uh from being around the NBA for a long time, I'm aware that Apollo Global, a you know, giant private equity firm, is very close to the NBA. It's actually physically close. It's only a few blocks away. Adam Silver's Duke roommate is now the co-president of Apollo Global and the um, primary investors in two NBA teams, the Hawks and the 76ers, um, made their money at Apollo and um, several other NBA billionaires have connections to Apollo's predecessor, uh, Drexel Burnham Lambert. Um, so I, I was thinking it was pretty much the NBA's most important pool of money a year ago, two years ago, five years ago. Um, now we get in this weird thing where uh, the founder of Apollo, Leon Black, has emerged as someone who paid Jeffrey Epstein $158 million. And there's a report as to... But, but never did anything wrong whatsoever. <laughs> I mean... I'm joking. 
no, how, how is it possible you could pay him that much money, have to leave Apollo and the MoMA and not have done the bad things that Epstein did? Right. And so then I start, so part of me just feels like this is, this is the kind of mystery that attracts me, right? I'm like, well, what is yeah. going on here, right? Um, and this one where you start pulling threads, it goes absolutely crackers. I have this, I have this quote in my head from, uh, there's a, there's a, I have talked to several, everybody who will talk to me about this is like off the record, on background, you know, doesn't want to be quoted. Um, one guy who knows a lot about it over decades said to me that we're kind of missing the plot here, that it's not a, so much about sexual abuse as the big, this is a quote, the biggest crime in American history. And if that's not uh, alluring, then I don't know. Yeah, it's a wicked crime. I mean, we're in the middle, as you point out. I don't really know, but I'll say this. Um, You know, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I've always been the guy who was like evidence-based. And when they go off about this or that thing, I'd be like, you know, whatever. But, you know, Air America, um, the the way the cartel moved money during Iran-Contra, like there were these uh, historical relationships between like intelligence agencies and, you know, people who made a ton of money doing listed things by flying planes around where the intelligence agencies turned a blind eye, right? Those people tend to overlap with arms dealers and BCCI. And, um, you know, there's some huge pots of money out there and money laundering and offshore banking now just sort of blossoms in the same, the same sphere. And, um, well, we're getting to the bottom of how those things fit together. So, so, has has sports always been like this? And rich people own teams. When people make that kind of money, sometimes at least, if not often, shady shit ends up happening. Or is it um, hedge funds and finance has become so dominant and its tentacles are so wide? It's not like someone that just makes chewing gum or whatever it is that the odds of there being conflicts and problems are a lot higher now than they used to. Be. No, this is such a good question. So there's this term sport washing out there, um, which didn't used to exist. <laughs> But, a, I've never heard that. That's amazing. Okay. Keep going. Is it great? Like, yeah. So like Mikhail Prokhorov was the kind of guy who was due to be sanctioned for things, right? Yep. But he was spared and he bragged about it, right? He sport washed his name, right? Um, so I think some of it is definitely that. And I, I think there's this other thing, which I just was trying to like put my finger on. Um, there's a good new book about um, Apollo's legal tussle to handle what happened with Caesars. <laughs> um, it's the most complicated thing ever. But uh, but these heroic men wrote a story about it, and it's, it's legible. Um, but it really is every single character in their story is just expert in like the brutality of leverage, right? Like, at the, at the biggest levels of business now, the biggest incomes, you're a master of leverage, which is a very different thing from making widgets and selling widgets, right? So I think we're in this period of, you know, like you said, hedge funds, um, the way banking has changed, the way finance has changed. Um, there's a tremendous value in, you know, which does have some roots in this Drexel story, right? And just creating, you know, ways that people can't, we will have to do what you want them to do, right? Because of your, the position you're in, um, and, and that's where that's where it gets more interesting with Epstein. And, and is there is therefore is there a, a point where society, the NBA, the government, someone should step in and say, "Here's who can and can't own teams," or is it just this is a true free market and it's always going to go to the highest bidder and that's going to be people these days in, in finance? I mean, we're not a very innovative nation if all we do is create leverage, right? <laughs> like, like, I think we do want to have most of the dollars go to, you know, innovators, right? And job suppliers, this kind of stuff, right? So it, it, and I'm here, I'm a sports writer outside of my area of expertise here, but like, 
Um, it does seem like it would behoove um, those, you know, Congress, whatever. So after Citizens United, the problem is like you need every politician needs every really, really wealthy person to support them. So it's hard to know how they get reined in. Um, so, you know, dark money, blah, blah, blah. But um, but yeah, it does seem to me like it would be super beneficial um, to have, you know, like, it, like, is it more valuable to break up Caesars and create tremendous value for the people who break it up and, and bankrupt it? Like, or is it better to create value for people who figure out how to keep it open and pay the dealers, <laughs> right? Like, right. we get to move the levers of that a little bit by the government does, right? Um, it seems like the levers are in the wrong place right now. Um, and then for the NBA, I just feel honestly like, I mean, I know Adam Silver. I like Adam Silver. Um, he seems like a nice, thoughtful guy. I remember walking down Fifth Avenue and he's like, thank you for covering our leagues. Like, I realize you have lots of opportunities. Thank you for covering this one. And I kind of feel like... Is he sending you like a text every other day saying that? <laughs> yeah, every day. <laughs> Especially now. Um, but uh, but it would be nice as like a favor to, to, to those of us who work in and around the league, um, including his employees, if like he didn't put us with Jeffrey Epstein, right? It'd be nice if we didn't have to like take those phone calls and figure out those things just to, to do our careers well, right? Um, I'd like protection from that, frankly. So, so you're a Blazers fan, and I think the Paul Allen estate still owns a team. Is that right? Yeah, his sister runs it now. So that's like reasonably honorable, right? Uh, although, of course, Microsoft in the 90s was considered this rapacious, monopolistic company that had to get sued in court for antitrust by the U.S. government, right? So Elaine Maxwell was on Paul Allen's yacht. Um, right. I'll go you one better is uh, there's a in this story that I was doing a bad job summarizing. Um, A.B. Buzzy Krongard, former banker Alex Brown, was the he ran the bank that took Microsoft public. He's on Apollo's board right now. And he was in between worked at the CIA. Like those. So he's like a through line here for, straight from Paul Allen to, to Leon Black. So I'm uh, a Knicks fan and a Mets fan. So you, you, oh, I'm you sorry. Can, yes, I know. <laughs> so here's the question, right? So I have separate Knicks questions, so we'll get to that. But let's just take the Mets because Steve Cohn is a good example of the world that you're talking, right? Someone who is extraordinarily wealthy, has his tentacles and lots of things that are questionable, really almost went to jail. It's amazing that he didn't, right? Um, and so this this summer, it, you know, there was a sort of existential moment for baseball, summer and fall, where they could have said, no, you know, this guy has too many problems and, and too much stuff. And yeah, Wilpons, you might make slightly less, but there's a lot of people who want to buy the Mets. Um, so we're not going to let that happen. Um, and they chose not to do it. And I assume because ultimately, one, A-Rod's kind of a schmuck, but but even putting that aside, because uh, every owner wants to be able to get the highest possible price for their team. So they don't want to set that precedent. Um, so given that, you know, did you, did you see that as a pivotal moment? And if so, by baseball allowing Cohen to buy, you know, a team in the biggest media market in the country, was that just a full kind of waving the, the white flag or whatever it is like we concede completely? So it's a perfect example of sport washing, right? So it works for him. I'm actually had somebody detail it to me and, you know, fantastically over a lot of time that like, now he gets into every meeting again, right? As the Mets owner, yeah. he's, there's no, there's no stain on him anymore, right? Yeah. Um, it's very, it's, it costs him a billion or whatever. Actually, it really costs him what? I don't know. Is Maybe he makes money on the whole deal when it's all done, right? But right. I mean, yeah. it's, it's funny you say that. There are a few things, because I had dealt with this when Mike Bloomberg stopped being mayor, which was how do you still be that relevant? You know, and you can own, the, you can own a major newspaper that worked. You can own a major sports team. You can be like the president or like the mayor of a place like New York. Um, but then once you get past that, there aren't that many jobs that get, that get you in the room no matter what. Right. Uh, quite frankly, running 0.72, as rich as he is, does not, right? 
But only the Mets, it does. 1.72 is a little bit like he got chased out of the limelight. He's like, you know, oh, you did a bad thing. It's a reminder, right, that he's now yeah. doing a family office. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so like Jim Dolan and and Jeffrey Epstein and some others tried to buy New York Magazine back in the day, right? Jim Dolan up dropping out. But look, this is why, right? They wanted this is one of those gigs that gets you in the meeting. Yeah. So I don't actually totally begrudge anyone involved. I assume that I just it's it's sports leagues chase the money, right? They they go for the biggest money. It's just what they do. It's hard for me to like a it's a scorpion frog thing, right? So I don't really expect baseball to turn away those billions. Um, I I frankly blame the media. I that same guy who explained to me what Steve Nay Cohen was doing was saying that it would work because like he basically said, you guys, to me, meaning sports media, like you guys are just so stupid. Like you'll cover him every day. Yeah. Like, oh, thank God he made this trade. Oh, thank God he's made this money. Oh, thank God he won. He gets coverage for tweets. I know. I know. Yeah. We are like hook, line, and sinker. Like we will never question you, Steve Nay Cohen, and we will worship you for spending the money on our team. And the uniforms are pretty, and the stadium is being redesigned, and you're a hero. That's that. But the problem is, so theoretically, because I'm asking you these questions, and I host a podcast that, that some people listen to, theoretically, I have some heightened awareness of all of this. And yet, as a absolutely crazy Mets fan, probably in the way that you are a Blazers fan, um, I'm okay with all of it simply because no matter how bad of a person he is, our odds of winning are better, right? Um, and therefore, if, if I should know better and I'm still at the end of the day, you know, willing to, to sanction it, you know, why wouldn't it ready? Yeah, I, look, you're, you're probably going to end up with like the richest okay person, right? And what, who's okay is probably better. That should be like the advertising. We want yeah. the, the richest okay no quite in jail at the moment person. Um, yeah. So it's, it's probably more up to, you know, the president, the Department of Justice, the attorney general, you know, who's okay. It feels a little bit, we're a little out of our depths in sports policing that probably. Um, although they make a show of it, like they say they do. But um, yeah, so probably the answer is, you know, the media and the justice system, right? That's probably where the improvements need to be. Oh. Or you could flip it around and say, let it all happen in sports because the stakes are low, right? If Donald Trump had been allowed to buy the Buffalo Bills, who knows? Maybe it would have come president. If George W. Bush had been allowed to be baseball commissioner, who knows? Maybe no Iraq war. So may maybe we're looking at it exactly the wrong way. It should be where you throw all the people who are dangerous and really rich um, to keep them kind of contained and happy and keep, keep them out of shit that really matters, like running the government. Well, I don't. it's funny. I don't really... I don't expect them to be like Boy Scouts at all. I, I just more think, you know, if... So the Jeffrey Epstein story is a little special, right? Because everybody can understand the hurt of that story, right? Like, if you'd stop cheering now, right? If if, if the reason that... I, mean, I, I don't know that Jeffrey Epstein was directly involved, and I'm not even beginning to suggest in, like, this owner and any owner getting any sports team. But if you if that does emerge, then now you want to stop clapping, right? Like, that's too much. So I feel like... We shouldn't be ignorant. Our, our, the popularity of these teams shouldn't be rooted in ignorance, right? It should be rooted in like, yeah, yeah, we know about that. It's okay. Or if it's not okay, some people might have to get kicked out, like Donald Sterling, right? It could happen. Right, right. The Sterling thing. It was. Um, so I, I guess that's a good transition to my, my next question, which is I keep hoping that someone will catch Dolan on tape saying some of the things that, that Sterling said. <laughs> um, is it possible that under kind of Leon Rhodes and World Wide West, there's a true cultural change and and Tibbs, obviously, or ultimately are the Knicks always going to be the Knicks for as long as Jim Dolan owns it? It's, a, it's the question, right? Um, like when Sam Hinkie took over the Sixers, um, like 
there was a certain amount of runway. Like you get to have long-term thinking until the owner freaks out and then you have short-term thinking, right? And, uh, and so what's the runway here? I have had, I've put this question to the best possible sources on the next bit, like, you know, who's in charge of making Dolan sit on his hands, right? And the answer I got was, we've got five-year contracts. So um, they're giving it a shot, right? And I guess the, you know, it's really, you know, Dolan gets to do whatever he wants to do whenever he wants to do it. And if he wakes up someday next month and says the long-term planning is over, then it's over. So this is a, the worst kind of forecasting I could do is guess his mood, right? But um, right. But they didn't lose their confidence last summer, right? They, they, they've foregone multiple opportunities to spend more money and, and, and burn up the future, right? And they, they're not doing it so far. Good. Right. Quickly was a great draft pick. Randall was a great, a great signing. Toppin seems a little disappointing. But, you know, on the flip side, Donnie Walsh knew that trading for Carmelo as opposed to just waiting a few months and getting him in free agency was the difference between being a team that could potentially win the, the title or just kind of make the playoffs and lose in the first or second round. And yet Dolan didn't listen. Right. He just went ahead and traded for Carmelo. Yeah. This is why, like, sports fans actually don't like sitting next to me at dinner because a lot of my news is like, your team is just way dumber than you think it is. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, the good news is I actually assume that all my teams are really dumb. So I don't, I don't, I'm starting at a very low base. That's a great place to start. Yeah. <laughs> like even as, as a Giants fan, I'd always feel like, well, okay, I have one team that I root for that's like well run. And like, they've now become no better than that. Well, they're better than the Knicks, but, but not, not much. So it's, it's sort of hit rock bottom uh pr- pretty much everywhere have you been listening to this podcast uh by the athletic that chuck d is hosting about the dolan and the knicks no no but that's the kind of thing i would like for sure it's amazing it's okay. amazing like i, I think they're, they're two they come on tuesday so tomorrow will be the, the third one and he's not surprisingly really good because he's got a great voice and presence that's why he's chuck d um and he just gets everybody on there and they just really trace how and why did the knicks become the knicks uh, I mean, it's extremely depressing, uh, but it's also fascinating to uh, to listen to. Um, can I do something that's probably going to annoy you, sure. but I'm going to do it anyway? Yeah. So I'm, I'm I'm in the playoffs of my fantasy league. In fact, yeah. Hugo, who's uh, producing podcast, did not make the playoffs. Um, I even have <laughs> that doesn't seem totally germane. <laughs> I, I even have a buy this week because I did so well. Um, but I'm I have to of of the when I set my playoff roster. I'm going to read you my 10 guys, and you tell me which three not to have on there. Oh, oh, this is a fun game. Okay. All right. So Lillard, obvious yes, right? Mm, I would watch his health very carefully. They they, they burned that candle really hard, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, I saw that. He was basically cooked by the time last year's playoff started. Um, it's true. and he, Yeah, it, it's it's true. And then Mitchell's hurt too, but he's all gone up in Mitchell, but, you know really fucking good right um, wait let me ask how your league works do you you're looking for the best per game production or over the course of the play over the course of a week you can't change it okay the week starts um yeah. so i gotta pick the right seven guys all right so okay. tobias harris mm-hmm. chris middleton mm-hmm. vukovic mm-hmm. drew holiday Stephen mm-hmm. adams Mike Conley, Duncan Robinson, and Brandon Clark. Who are the three that shouldn't make the playoff roster? Um, are, is Vucevic going to be in the playoffs? Well, what doesn't matter because they they do it during the regular. It's it's the last two weeks of the regular season. Oh, so this is for right now. I see. It's for right now. Yeah. Um, yes, yeah, so he's probably going to put big numbers. I'm guessing Drew probably is a highly likely candidate to sit a game or two in, in the next few weeks. Right. That's the other problem. Right. Why wouldn't the Why wouldn't the really good teams sit their guys and rest? Yeah. Mike Conley, I'm a huge believer in Mike Conley, but um, that team 
might not have much to play for, right? They're going to try to sit them as much as they can, I would guess. Yeah. Miami, because they got they want to get out of the play off the play in. Does that sort of make Duncan Robinson a, a better choice? Yeah, this is you want teams with stakes, right? Yeah, so the play in is definitely a worry. Or does Jimmy Butler just say fuck it and like in in that situation he just goes to the hoop every single time? <laughs> he might, but but they're getting tired now, right? This is the intense. This is they had all the makeup games, like yeah, all across the league. I, we you know with some of these different advanced stats we use, like not every player, but a shocking number of players right now have their little stock ticker is at its lowest of the season. Like they're just everybody's beat up right now. Yeah, well, plus there was no break, right? You know, for it was I loved watching the the bubble, but like they came right back. The, the guys who went all the, all the way to the finals, they turned around and came back. And those are the ones like I just it was dumb luck, but I just looked it up. Like the players who played the most minutes in the bubble, the top four are all have all been injured this year. Um, LeBron, Davis, Butler, and who? And um, Jamal Murray. Jamal Murray, right? He's out, and that Denver now is is probably. Probably is Porter good enough to make up for Murray's injury or no? I mean, they seem really good. That's that's the other thing, right? If I were you, someone's going to get a ton more touches in Denver, right? Um, right, but I can't pick. I don't think I can pick up anybody at this point. I don't have any any Nuggets, uh, so I, I don't get to pick that. And then my last guy on Brandon Clark, I guess they're still in play in contention, Memphis. Yeah, I think they definitely are. Yeah, honestly, I would ditch. Wait, did you have Donovan Mitchell or did you just mention I do him? have Donovan Mitchell, yeah. yeah. I'm nervous about Drew Holiday, Donovan Mitchell, and Mike Conley because I feel like they're all probably going to sit at least one game. So Robinson and Clark go in and you keep it. All right, guys, this is a producer coming in here and just telling you that no one cares about Bradley's uh, fantasy. Well, that's just because- and, we, and, and uh, Henry, I really appreciate your, um, your, your um, sort of indulging him here. Um, but Bradley, why don't you ask one more question and then, and then uh, we're going to wrap up. Yeah, that's fine. But just, just so, so the listeners have, because we're not going to edit this out, a little perspective here. Um, we're not editing this part out. We're keeping this exactly, part out. That's my point. Right. Bradley's team, six and one. Hugo's team, two and five. So y- you are not objective whatsoever in your, in your complaints right now. Fair enough. <laughs> all right. So all right. Well, then uh, last question, Henry. Um, uh, well, I guess I'll just do the typical Bill Simmons question then. You know, who's in the finals and who's the MVP? I've been just killing myself trying to think about this this year. I don't know. Um, I and I'll watch. You know, I watch the Sixers and be like, you know what? They might be my pick. Um, I guess I I've been saying the Lakers will win the West all year just because I've been. You know, anytime you bet against LeBron, it hurts your feelings, right? But it no longer seems so likely to me. I have to admit, I think that if I had to pick today, and I will undoubtedly change it soon, I'd probably say the Jazz really are the best team in the West, and I think they're going to win the West. Okay. And rather boringly, I think that the Bucks will probably win the East. Really? So you think Brooklyn just never gets healthy enough to put it together? I th- no, they frighten the hell out of me. Like they're amazing, but the defense is not good, um, and usually that ends up mattering in a, in a seven game. Well, start. right. They they say, well, we're all so talented, we can turn it on when we need to. Maybe, maybe they're right. They t- might totally be right. I would be happy to come on this show and tell you that I was wrong when they <laughs> win sixteen straight wins and win the championship. Could totally. Yeah. Yeah, and then MVP. Who would you do? You have a vote? Um, no, I don't have a vote. I um, <laughs> I wrote a story about doping that upset the person who decides who votes. And Got it. So yeah, never, not, not, yeah. So if you did have a vote, who, who would it be? Um, that's a really good question. Um, I think you probably have to give it to Jokic, but uh, part of me wants to say Embiid. Yeah. Yeah, those would be my top two also. All right, I could do this all day, but I, I think to Hugo's point, uh, we're probably annoying the shadow of the listeners at this point. So, Henry, thank you so much for joining us. No, Bradley, super fun. Thank you for having me. 